You're listening to the Lifestylist Podcast, number 115. This is a bootleg broadcast recorded live in Aspen, Colorado, October 27th, 2017, featuring your host, Luke Story. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you for joining me on the last episode of 2017. It's been a truly awesome year, and I'm really stoked to deliver one last episode to you before it's over. So this is another bootleg broadcast live recording of a talk I did back in October at Aspen Shakti in my hometown of Aspen, Colorado. Now, this is probably the most intimate and public talk I've ever given. It was a huge act of courage to give the talk in the first place and be as open-hearted as I was, but I found it even more challenging to actually get down to releasing it as a podcast episode. I sat on the recording for like two months, not sure if I was ready to publish such a brutally authentic presentation, but then it occurred to me, the number one lesson I learned in the past year was this. The more real, vulnerable, and honest I am, the more deeply people seem to resonate with my message and the more I'm able to really help people. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to put it out unedited. I did cut out a little breathing exercise in the beginning because it wasn't really relevant to you, the listener. But other than that, it's raw, uncut, and uh, (laughs) covers a lot of my sordid past, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But before we jump into that episode, I thought I'd do a little review, a wrap-up of 2017 and set some intentions and goals for 2018. And I've really taken a look at some of my personal wins and gifts uh, that I've received this year, and I'd like to just reflect and apply some gratitude for all the grace I've received. However, if you want to skip this long recap intro, you can jump ahead to about the 20-minute mark and go right into the live talk. So I've been doing a lot of personal inventory about the ways in which I've been stuck and how I plan to evolve in the coming year and really to use this show as a means by which to do so. But all of that deeper introspection is really covered in the live talk that you're about to listen to. So I'll just go ahead and jump right into the 2017 wrap up. Okay, so as far as the podcast goes, I hit a million downloads and that was a goal that I set in 2016. And thanks to you, we made it even a little bit early We even cracked the the iTunes top uh, 200, ranking it, I think, at the highest at 118, which is pretty epic because we're talking about tens of thousands of podcasts that I'm included with. So that's really huge. And I'm also really stoked to have the Lifestylist podcast finally accepted by Spotify, which is a really great place to listen to podcasts and music. I'm on Spotify all the time. So I was really stoked to be able to uh, have the show broadcast there. And I'm just really so grateful to the audience and and you included, obviously, and to all of my brilliant and gracious guests. I mean, I have just the most profound sense of gratitude for each and every listener and uh, you most definitely included, whoever you are sitting here listening to this. So my goal for 2018 in terms of the show is to hit 5 million downloads. So I'm at a million now. I need to quadruple that this year and get to 2 million by June 2018. What do you think? If you're down to support that, here's what you can do. Keep sharing this show with friends and family. So many of the people that end up being listeners were referred by someone they know. And that's really like the grassroots way that this show has continued to grow. And the message that we're delivering here has continued to spread. So please keep sharing it. I'd also love for you to come join our brand new Facebook group. I was going to do that in 2018 and I got to it a little early. So we have a Facebook group. It's called The Lifestylist Podcast Group. And it is a listener hub where we can all hang out. I even have guests dropping in to answer questions sometimes. I'm going to really be building that group out, doing tons of Q&A, Facebook Lives, and things like that. So definitely find the Lifestylist Podcast on Facebook. 
And don't forget to follow me on Instagram. I'm doing tons of live feeds and stories. So a lot of the things that I talk about in terms of lifestyle practices and hacks and things like that, I'm actually demonstrating and teaching a lot on Instagram. Now I'll admit, I just screw around a lot on there too and just do really goofy stuff, but you will definitely uh, learn something or be entertained on my Instagram account for sure. And then don't forget to shop at my online store, which is at lukestory.com forward slash store. That really helps support the mission and support the brands that I find and vet and the ones that I really like to work with. So anything that I've found along the path over the past 21 years that I think is useful in upgrading your life and your health and well-being, I put it in my store. And I just link out to all my favorite stuff so I don't actually sell anything. But in some cases, I do get a small commission on sales made through the store. So it's a great way to support me and my work and the brands, but it also supports you because if you go through my store, I give you tons of really sick exclusive discounts. So all three parties win in that scenario. That's at lukestory.com forward slash store. Now, if you feel like being a super supporter, if you're a rabid fan of the show, one of those people that I get messages from that goes back and listens to every episode from the beginning, and you're really digging this free content, you can go the whole nine yards and uh, go to lukestory.com forward slash support and offer a one-time or reoccurring small donation to help support the work here. All right, so that's what we've done this year. It's been a great year with the show. I am so fired up about 2018. I have some ridiculously cool guests booked so far. I have a lot of them already already recorded. Next week, I've got Emily Fletcher coming back from Ziva Meditation. That's next Tuesday, January 2nd, our first show of the year, 2018. I'm stoked. And then I've also got Byron Katie coming up, uh, Robin Burzen from Parsley Health, Young Pueblo, Deborah Hannekamp, aka Mama Medicine. I've got Tim Lawrence describing the Hoffman process, something that was really powerful for me this year, and just tons of other really talented guests. I have a list, literally, I'm not even exaggerating, of 200 people that I'm aiming to get on the show. So you are not going to be disappointed. I'm going to be keeping it real. So 2017 is now over, right? And what a trip <laughs> it's been. This has been one of the most difficult years of my life. Now, you might not be able to tell on the show because I'm doing my best just to interview people and focus on them and their gifts and what they're bringing to each episode. But man, I have gone through a lot. So it's been one of the most rewarding uh, in every way years that I've ever had, but also really tough. I've learned a lot of painful lessons and had some beautiful moments. So I'm just stoked that this year is coming to an end and I'm really geared up for the next one. Uh, I've learned so much from my guests. I've dealt a lot with some really old stuff, just childhood trauma that have turned into patterns in my adulthood. Um, As I said earlier, I went to the Hoffman process. Uh, I did John Wineland's Art of Fearless Intimacy workshop, which was terrifying, but just so beautiful and profound. And uh, I've also just made a lot of progress working on my health. You know, I've discovered some mind-blowing biohacks and supplements that have had a huge impact. I'd say some of my top health discoveries of 2017 would definitely be the Ant Coil, which I've talked about quite a bit on the show. It's a biofeedback slash PEMF technology. The Juve Red Light Therapy has been just like crushing my hormones. And, And both of those things, I might add, have really dramatically improved my sleep. Like I sleep like a baby every night. It's amazing. And I've been working on my sleep for a long time. Also discovered the power of uh, medical lasers using my power medic laser. I'm fixing all sorts of injuries in my joints and tendons and things like that. 
uh, boosting my brain with my V-Lite Red intra Intranasal Light Therapy. It doesn't help you pronounce the word, but it makes you smarter right here. That's been really great. And then uh, in terms of supplementation, the Quicksilver Scientific liposomal supplements, the glutathione and C and uh, all of the stuff that they offer with a really efficient delivery um, process has been great. And then my favorite nootropic, Qualia, which I talk about a lot on the show because that stuff just rocks. It's been a really great discovery this year. Also the Vital Reaction Molecular Hydrogen tabs. I'm on those things on the daily, yo, all day long. And then my buddy Matt over at MitoLife with his DHA algae oil. My DHA levels are rocking based on my past labs. All my hormones are on point. And then in terms of herbs, I've really been doing a lot of bulk herbs from, from Longevity Power. And um, I've talked about them, of course, on the show too, but I'm like mega dosing on uh, Christian Bates' herbs over there, man. The guy's just got absolute integrity and makes some really great stuff. So in terms of the health stuff that I'm um, working with, those are the things that have really moved the needle this year. And then, you know, there's old stuff like the clear light sauna and ice baths and breathing exercises and a bunch of things like that. But those are kind of the new ones in my life. So I thought I'd share those. And don't forget that a lot of that stuff is also available on my online store. As I said, lukestory.com forward slash store. So anything I find and discover, I pretty much put it on my store and link out to it if I can. And you can access the store anytime and find the latest and greatest in supplements and biohacks all in one handy place. So it's pretty cool. So it's also been a great year professionally. Um, I'm slowly changing my relationship to money and professional success. I've had some deeply subconscious blocks in that area that I'm starting to really uncover. As my self-worth goes up, it seems that so does my success financially and professionally. So, you know, the podcast and my coaching practice have really taken off. And I've just built so many great relationships and partnerships with brands in the health and wellness industry. It's just been exploding. So I've really been uh, pleased with the way that that's panned out. I also achieved many of my 2017 public speaking goals. I had these flashcards that I made, you know, and I look at those every night before I go to sleep and right when I wake up, just things that I want to manifest, goals, dreams, intentions, et cetera. And it's funny because a lot of the names on my list, uh, like the Bulletproof Cafe, uh, Lead with Love in Aspen, speaking at Soho House and Noy House in Hollywood and Malibu, uh, speaking at the one of my favorite festivals, Mercado Sagrado, I also did the Whitma Live event in New York City. I spoke at Cat Beauty in New York City. So I think it did about 15 gigs, uh, one of which you're about to listen to, of course, at Aspen Shakti. And public speaking and just sharing this information is, it's like terrifying, but it's also something that I really, really enjoy, like just connecting with people. I'm, a, I'm an extrovert and I'm a people person. I just love people. And so to get out there and like meet so many of the fans of the show face to face and hear their stories and how the show has impacted them has just been so meaningful to me. I've made so many new friends just in the industry and personally, it's just been fantastic. And then also on the business tip, my main business, which I don't talk about that much because it's not really relevant to, you know, the topics that we talk about on the show, but really how I pay the bills, uh, you know, until you guys start <laughs> supporting the show, or if the show gets big enough that I can get, you know, huge paid ads to, to really support it. But right now it's largely a, a labor of love. And so what really pays my bills for the most part, is School of Style. And we had our best year in nine years in 2017. And then we made a huge move that, I don't want to say it's risky, but it definitely has taken some courage. And that is we've stopped doing live classes. We've been doing live classes in eight different U.S. cities for nine years, teaching people how to become a fashion stylist. 
which if you've been listening to the show, you'll know that I did that for uh, 17 years. And so on our last LA class in November, we had some of our great stylist friends like Monica Rose, Ilaria Urbanati, and Jenny Ricker come to speak to our students and send them off in style. And then we're moving into a 100% online model. So it's it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm building a lifestyle where I can actually make a living from home or from wherever I have my computer. Now with the podcast, of course, I have to have my recording equipment and there's a few other things that I have to bring along. But essentially, uh, I'm getting less tied to any sort of a brick and mortar situation, which really suits my personality. And I think it's how I best serve the world. So I want to really thank all of my School of Style students over the past nine years. It's been amazing to personally train over 3,000 students. And now to see them out in the world of fashion and the entertainment industry and just crushing it is extremely fulfilling. So a big shout out to School of Style, and I'm looking forward to seeing what 2018 brings for us. Now, in terms of a summary of the real inner work of 2017, I would say my biggest accomplishment as a human being has really been to learn to love and accept myself and other people on a deeper level than ever before. So as I sit here and record this intro, I'm happy to say that I literally like myself more than I ever have before in my life. And as a result, I seem to be really enjoying uh, spending time with so many other amazing people. And really, the show has had a lot to do with that, just living my purpose, living my passion. And, um, you know, and that there's really, I think the lesson is there's no reason for me to be afraid to let people see who I really am, privately or publicly, that realness begets realness, <laughs> that freedom from my limitations is contingent on my own level of integrity and commitment to being myself, my talent, my gifts, my faults, my frailties, all that to just, you know, with a certain degree of prudence. I mean, you don't want to vomit on people and you have to have some sort of boundaries, but I find that just the more authentic I can be, the more personal freedom I have. I just feel really free and really happy. Even when I've had difficult times this year, you know, I suffered through it <laughs> and I just know that I'm going to, I'm going to make it through and I'm going to benefit from whatever lessons are there. So when I'm able to frame, you know, uh, painful or difficult situations in my life and that I really truly know there's a lesson in it and that I'm becoming a better person as a result, it makes it all worth it. So 2017 has been all about the self-love and this is something I'm hearing a lot about, which is cool. People aren't afraid to talk about things like that. Like I think we used to be, or at least I used to be. I still feel a little awkward even just saying that, but whatever, man. This is 2018 is the year of freedom. So moving into this next year, my number one resolution is to really continue to find ways to help alleviate suffering in other people's lives, be it physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. And I'm going to do this by continuing to seek out all the truth and wisdom and all the teachers that I can and sharing it with anyone that'll listen through my various channels, not the least of which being this here podcast. I'm also setting the following intentions for this year, and I'm just going to say this publicly to hold myself accountable. I'm going to continue my recent commitment to do real intense exercise and work on my range of motion and mobility over at my brother's gym, Story Fitness. I fell out for a while, and I don't—I wouldn't say I got lazy. I just take the you know the easier path of doing a little yoga and this and that. But I, I'm like working out hardcore again, and. I actually don't like working out, but I like the results that I get. And I'm 47. I can't afford to let my body fall apart. My mission is not complete. So that's number one. Next one is getting out of credit card debt for once and for all. Now, I've had this pebble in my shoe for years of just this lingering credit card debt. And there's just always something more important to spend money on seemingly. And I've, I've made a lot of progress with that. 
that in the past year, and I'm going to absolutely annihilate that within the next few months. Also like to become a homeowner in 2018. Also plan to write, if not also publish my first book. I'd love to have a healthy and fulfilling intimate relationship. I want to appear on as many podcasts that are suitable and fitting as possible. Now, if you want to help me with this goal and you want to be proactive about it, hit up your favorite podcast host and suggest me as a guest. It's a great way for me to get a foot in. Uh, I already have a list of like 60 shows that I want to go on, which I'm actively pursuing now, but the more the merrier. So if you know of a show that you think would be good for me, let them know. Don't let me know because I already have my list, but let them know and perhaps they'll contact me or be in touch. And lastly, I'll be expanding my speaking schedule to include more regular, smaller events in LA just on an ongoing basis. I'd love to do something like every month or every week where I kind of build a community of people and we come and hang out and help each other learn and grow. And then I'd also like to appear at some of the big health and personal development conferences. You know the ones I'm talking about. Yes, I'm going to be there. So as you can see, I've got some big plans for the coming year, and this episode is a perfect way to send off the year we're leaving behind. Now, I'm really happy to leave 2017 behind with the most intimate and heartfelt public talk I've ever done. It's a huge step for me in terms of playing big and just giving less Fs about getting people's approval, being popular, being liked, and just doing me unedited and real. So here's a breakdown of what I cover in the talk you're about to listen to back in October in Aspen. I was so sick this whole trip, including this particular night. Like, honestly, I can't believe that I was able to show up there and talk. As it turned out, I think being, I had, I had the flu or something. I think being sick actually served me because I didn't have enough energy to be insecure or like defend myself from an egoic position. It's like, I was just at my wits end and just, it took everything I had in me just to sit there and talk for this, you know, hour long talk or whatever it was. So, but just know, man, I was like sweating and just dying inside, but I think I was able to really, I don't know, reach a, a, a real heartfelt, sincere place with the audience. And it was, it was just a really meaningful talk to me. So that was the first thing. And I also have a rule, which I think I talk about in, in this particular episode that I just, I don't cancel gigs. The show must go on. So I don't care how sick I am. I will never miss a public speaking gig, anything like that. It's just, it's the thing I have held over from playing in bands. I think you just, you just show up, you just do it no matter what. So the main uh, scope of this, and I would say that the topic here is surrender. And it was such a perfect topic to go into because I had no energy to do anything else. And I had just uh, read The Surrender Experiment by Michael A. Singer on that trip, which really summed up so many experiences in my life. And so it was just, I didn't go in with any plan whatsoever, um, thankfully, because I was so sick. I had to just be spontaneous, but I did have the idea of you know, just surrendering to reality. That was kind of the theme. And I really, I really took it there. So I talked about my childhood in Aspen and my history of crime and drugs and the story of my first and last trip to jail, which happened there, the cult like boarding school that I was sent to as a teenager and how that eventually saved my life, what it was like to live as a hardcore drug addict for all those years, the profound spiritual experience I had when I got sober at 26 years old, and how I used the podcast as a tool for my own spiritual growth how I've used the principle of surrender to solve other negative habits and addictions, the experience of getting sick on this trip and following through with the talk without any preparation whatsoever, why I eventually quit music in favor of fashion and later quit that to start this podcast, the perils and challenges of entrepreneurship, how the ego sometimes motivates short-sighted career choices when your true dream is just waiting on the other side, 
the importance of not playing small and going for broke, how to avoid negative thoughts and emotions even when things aren't going your way, why peace is more important than being right, how the only way around pain is to go right directly through it, the immense power of surrendered action, the fact that love is the most powerful force in the universe. And the talk is wrapped up with a really fun Q&A session with the audience where I answer questions about the nature of spiritual evolution. So as we enter into the last episode of the Lifestylist podcast, I just sincerely want to thank you again for all of your kindness and support in this year, 2017. And I want to wish you the happiest of New Year's and may 2018 be your best year yet. Here I present to you the real me on the topic of living a surrendered life. What we're going to do here is not have a plan (laughs) because... Uh, I was granted the gift this week of falling ill uh, pretty badly, and um, so that negated the opportunity to make any kind of a plan, which is so brilliant, because I tend to have a much better time myself, and I think a, hopefully more of a positive impact when I don't have any intellect involved, or at least as little as possible. Uh, my message is a message of the heart, the language of the heart, and that's what's been most helpful to me in alleviating my suffering as a a floundering human on planet Earth, and uh, it's all about heart, you know, and so we're going to mostly just have a spontaneous little talk here, and uh, maybe we'll go for like 40 minutes or something like that, and then do a little Q&A if we have any of that. I'm going to do this as briefly as I can, and that is just give a little background on, on myself. Uh, I don't think it's terribly interesting, my story per se, so I'll try to make it short, but it, it is interesting from one perspective, and that is uh, the topic that I chose tonight, which is very loose, was the topic of surrender. And being back here in Aspen, where I spent the first five years of my life, and then periodically a few other years, has reminded me of the karmic challenges that I believe I chose for myself when I incarnated to my crazy parents, who I think my dad's watching on on Instagram, or no, he doesn't know how to use Instagram. He's in his 70s, he's on Facebook. Once you hit 70, you go to Facebook. Right, Pop? (laughs) But I chose a situation that started me out pretty low on the spectrum of consciousness, and that began here in this city. And so the part of my story, I think, that has meaning is that through the process over the past almost 21 years of just continual surrender to the flow, I've managed to be taken from a really dark, low state of consciousness into a place where most of the time, I feel pretty damn happy, you know? And if not happy, maybe feel some pain, some discomfort, but it's pretty rare that I go through abject suffering. Not to say that by any means that I'm uh, immune to it. I'm sure there will be many points in life uh, in which I suffer. But Right now, I'm having an incredible experience of surrender being here for the past week, which I'll go into. 
But the story of how I started in Aspen, I think, is maybe entertaining, if nothing else. You know, my mom was born and raised in Berkeley, California. Came out here probably in 68, 69. Met my dad, who was a cowboy rodeo Aspen dude. And uh, it was like hippie meets cowboy, you know? Just funny, because I kind of ended up being that in a strange roundabout way. And uh, they didn't have an, what is it called, an OBGYN? Is that how you say it? They didn't have one of those here in town in 1970, so they had to fly me out to Denver to be born. So technically, I was conceived here and then, you know, flew up to, popped out in Denver and then came back here. And then parents got divorced when I was a year old or so, a year and a half maybe. Lived here for a few years, then mom took me to California, which is where I grew up most of my life. But because I was uh, a pretty troubled kid and was in an environment which provided me a lot of access to drugs and uh, a decent amount of trauma and abuse as a young kid, I went on the path of kind of medicating myself, you know, to the point where I started to have so many behavioral problems and was essentially this juvenile delinquent that my mom just at some point threw up her hands and was like, I don't know what to do. So she sent me to live with my dad in the salt, which at the time was a nightmare because, I mean, this is going back in 82, 83, something like that. And I mean, I think it's a little more progressive here now, but back then the contrast between the San Francisco Bay Area and Aspen, Colorado for a teenager that's into smoking pot, listening to Led Zeppelin and riding skateboards. This was like not the place I wanted to end up. And it was also challenging to be in this valley because at 13 years old or so, I guess when I, when I was sent out here, uh, it was really difficult to get access to drugs because adults wouldn't give them to you. And in California, it was very easy. So one of the things I did to remedy that is I um, uh, broke into my dad's neighbor's house. I just drove by it the other day and took some pictures for Instagram, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, it's, a, it's an amazing story, actually, I think. I, I cased this house out. My dad was going up hunting or fishing or something, and he invited me. I was like, no, I'm not feeling well. So he went way up in Independence Pass or something, and I stayed home because I knew I wanted to go case out the neighborhood and try and find drugs, you know, because I needed it. I was so uncomfortable. I had no way to process shame and trauma and pain and feeling apart and feeling weird and separate and dumb and ugly and all those things that I think many teenagers feel. So I found one hippie neighbor down here. It's right down here, like the last, last place you cross the river right before Basalt. There's like a little neighborhood right there. And uh, I cased out the neighborhood and I found this one house was growing weed on the back porch. And so I was like, if there's weed on the back porch, there's probably weed inside. So me and my little delinquent buddy, we broke in there. And uh, we didn't find any weed. All we found was other cool shit to steal, like fireworks, cameras, um, a lot of booze. And um, so we went in and took one load back to my garage, went and got drunk on some, what I later found to be a vintage brandy because I had to pay for restitution <laughs> after I got caught. <laughs> So we went and got shit-faced in my garage, and then we're like, you know what? We should go back and get more stuff, like America's Dumbest Criminals, you know? And so, um, yeah, so we went back in the house, and we're drunk at this point, so we start stockpiling all this other, just any electronics, anything of value that we could go fence and get drugs. That was the whole point, you know? And uh, so we're in this house, and 
all of a sudden, we're like in the bedroom and we hear people coming in, which is not good when you're breaking into someone's house. <laughs> and so I was like, oh shit. So I opened this door thinking it was a closet that I would just hide in and hopefully escape. And I opened the door and they had like two front doors that were adjacent. So I opened the door and here's like these three hippies like, what? They proceed to chase me and my friend down the, out of the neighborhood, and I ran up onto the train tracks, and this poor little ponytailed, granola-eating guy, you know, chased me down and eventually grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, you know, and dragged me back to the house, and I pleaded that my friend and I were not, in fact, the perpetrators, but we had been on the hill above Basalt there riding our motorcycles, and we saw these older kids breaking into the house, so we just came down to investigate and just so happened to be there when the owners came home. Yeah, they were like, no. But I was, you know, I was already a pathological liar at that point because I always had to cover my tracks so that I could medicate, you know? Like, no one's going to allow a 12-year-old, 13-year-old to use the, the type of drugs I was using as often as I was. So I was really leading this double life. So anyway, see if I can get to the end, end of this story. Uh, but it's, it's my Aspen story, you know? It's the one. It's the one that started it all, really, and the one that ended it all, in a sense. And they said, well, that's an interesting story you've got there. We're just going to call Pitkin County Sheriffs and have them come down here, and you can explain your story to them. It's like, so they come and pick me up in the squad car, and they bring me right down the street to this courthouse and threw me in a cell. And that was the first and miraculously only time I was ever in jail at 14 years old, which is so bizarre because I lived for a long time like on the other side of the law and was just, I guess, lucky in a sense and I never got caught. But the cops here, they were, they were pretty slick. What they did is they separated me and my little homeboy, and they came in and told me that he had already snitched on me and told them the whole story, and so they were going to put me on a lie detector, and if I lied then, and went against his story, that then I was going to be even more trouble, and they were going to send me to Golden, Colorado, to the Teenage Correctional Institute, you know? And so I was like, yeah, yeah, we did it. And they're like, aha, burn, he didn't say anything. <laughs> you know, that happened to me twice, actually. <laughs> a principal did that to me again when I, I was on probation. And then at Basalt Middle School, I used to put my head in dumpsters to smoke weed so no one could see me. So I'd go in there and like, <sighs> and it was winter, so it just looked like fog. There you go. <laughs> so some kid, so some little snitch, freaking jock, ratted on me, you know? And, uh, principal did the same thing. He told me my friend already snitched, and so there was no point in trying to lie, so I did. He's like, gotcha, again. So um, note to the criminals in the room, if there are any, don't fall for that bluff. So what happened was, was really the turning point in my, really like the first major intervention from God. And that was that... Uh, you know, my dad now couldn't handle me, and so the judge over here, whatever his name was, who's a real smart ass, I remember that, not, not a fun guy to be in a courtroom with, I essentially said that my dad was going to have to send me somewhere out of state. My mom wouldn't take me, because she couldn't handle me either, and so my dad found this school that was this really almost a cult in northern Idaho called uh, Rocky Mountain Academy, and the judge was okay with that uh, because I was going to be out of the state. So they sent me to this school, and in that school, I 
really had a transformation because the basis of that school's teachings, although it was very experimental, you could say, and there were definitely some things that were very unorthodox and probably borderline abusive and all that by today's standards. But this is the 80s, you know, you could get away with a little more of that. But that school essentially brainwashed me in the most positive sense, and I spent two years there, and what they taught me was how to apply spiritual principles to my life. And as a result, I came out of there a changed kid. From that point on, I never broke the law at the expense of another person. I did deal drugs for a long time, but that helped people as far as I was concerned. If people need drugs, you got to have a... I was a nice guy, at least, you know? You'd come over and I wouldn't rip you off, but I unfortunately fell back, you know, into the dark side after that school. But that was really the beginning of the journey that I'm on now. And then when I was uh, 26 years old, I had reached such a point of just spiritual bankruptcy and just absolute despair and hopelessness that I finally became willing to consider sobering up, you know? And so I checked myself into a uh, treatment center and my mom helped facilitate getting me into the place because I was incapable of being anywhere without like a handler, you know, I was really, really in bad shape. And uh, what has led to this incredible transformation of going from a kid who's on his way to juvenile detention center at Pitkin County Courthouse to being someone now who, you know, I have this podcast and I, I literally reach, you know, I've reached almost a million people in a little over a year um, that have downloaded this show that eventually I, I sort of found my calling in. And now all of the early suffering is literally being transmuted into positive energy and into being of service. And so that, uh, that moment when that really started when I was 26, and it's, it's the most profound moment of my life, but at the same time, it's like sort of the most boring. It was a spiritual experience of the humble variety. You know, really what happened was I checked myself into this place. I woke up the next morning and came to and thought, oh my God, what have I done? Like, I put myself in this place and there's no drugs, which was shocking because I was really, really um, loaded when I checked in there. But what happened was, was that morning, I, I don't know if it was my, my first sincere prayer, but it was the first sincere prayer that I ever uttered sober. Because I'd prayed a lot, but I wasn't willing to really let go, you know? And uh, so what happened is I, I <laughs> expressed these prayers of, desperation that I could be healed, that I could be saved and uh, be relieved of that bondage. You know, it was really what it was for so many years. I just, I, I lived like a slave. I was just constantly, constantly under the lash of all of my various addictions and many of them physical, some of them psychological, but the worst ones that you can have, I had, you know? And what happened in that moment is something that I've been unpacking for almost 21 years. That awkward moment when you're broadcasting live on the internet and you cry. <laughs> See, when I do weird stuff on my podcast, I can edit it out, you know? But I, I have this immense feeling of gratitude because 
thankfully, I'm always able to remember what it was like to be enslaved, you know, on that level, and that I was granted some sort of mystical reprieve, um, albeit it was not dramatic. Nothing happened. The room didn't, you know, the curtains didn't blow and white light shone in through the window or anything like that. It's just from that moment until this moment sitting right here as a almost 47-year-old guy, I just have never, ever once had any issue in that area whatsoever. It was just poof, gone forever. Based on doing a lot of other work, you know, to follow, of course. But that was the initial um, enlightening experience for me. And what the time between then and now has been for for me is practicing and learning how to apply that depth of surrender to all other problems in my life and all other pain, all other suffering with that degree of humility and willingness and openness where it's just like, okay, God, I clearly, you know, based on running on my own resources, I don't know how to do life very well. And this is still the way I feel, and it's not self-deprecating, it's just my own ideas to this day can be so limited in terms of what's possible. And so then ensues years of surrendering other compulsive ways of acting and thinking and feeling and every sort of life situation from death to divorce to uh, this week being really, really ill. You know, I came out here early to see my dad and we spent one day, we went for a great little hike together and then the next day, which was on Monday, I just got floored and have been ever since despite being like what is normally a really healthy person because the other thing of what I do is I'm like really, really into health and this practice known as biohacking, which is really optimizing your physical body, you know? So it's been, um, this week has been a real deepening of that surrender in that I've been able to practice observing my ideas and preferences and being willing to let them go. My preference would have been that I would be running around jumping in rivers this whole week. I would be going to collect spring water. I'd be going to the hot springs. I'd be running like a wild man in the woods of Colorado. I would have spent quality time with my dad. Would have had more time to hang out with Jane, who's been lovely uh, to put me up. And, uh, and also perhaps would have had some semblance of kind of a plan of what we're gonna do here. <laughs> but the gift is, is that if I can surrender my opinions and my preferences on those little things in life, you know, the parking ticket, the cold, the didn't get the seat I wanted on the plane, you know, all of that stuff, then what I find through repetition of that surrender and, and of that acceptance is that I'm also able to surrender to positive life-changing experiences in my life, which this trip is symbolic of. Because what happened for me, to jump back a little bit and digress, is when I got sober, then I'd been playing music for uh, five years or so and continued to do that for another 10 years. Then I became a fashion stylist in Hollywood and I dressed rock stars for 17 years. So, you know, you've shot for them for their music videos and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then started a fashion school nine years ago, which has been paying my bills. And 
everything that I sort of have fallen into in terms of outwardly success has all been using that same process of surrender and just following the next indicated step and fine-tuning my intuition to just mm, have that inner sense that I'm leaning 51% this way, you know, in any decision. It's like really, really having a fine level of discernment in, in what my gut is telling me and as a result what source is telling me or God or whatever word we want to use. And what's really been fascinating is for the past 20 years, I've surrendered so many of my dreams and my ideas about the way my life is supposed to look. The first many, many years, I was like, I'm destined to be a rock star. Like, I will never be happy until I have albums out, videos out, touring the world, and uh, you know, doing that whole trip. Which obviously, um, I think the audience here would understand that there's a love of art there, but there's definitely a pretty high degree of ego, you know, because I had such low self-worth that I, I needed the validation to be like somebody and have a title. You know, I couldn't run around Hollywood being like, I'm a waiter. I'd be like, I'm in a band, you know. Turns out as I surrendered and surrendered over the course of a few years, when I really got honest with myself, I discovered that I actually don't like playing in a band. And I did it for 15 years, just beating my head against the wall. I gotta make it, I gotta make it. We're gonna get the deal, we're gonna go on tour, and just pushing and pushing and pushing until finally I just had the revelation, like why, why am I doing this? And had to apply the spiritual principle of introspection and self-honesty and self-awareness to see like, yeah, nothing wrong with music, but there were definitely some motives in there that were of a lower energy. And if I really faced it, that that wasn't what I wanted to do. And so through that surrender, ended up essentially becoming like a shoeshine boy for the musicians that did make it, which was beautiful and humbling at the same time because I got to be of service to so many talented artists who had the true ambition and talent that took them to the places that I had always wanted to go. And in so doing that for a number of years then, um, and applying the principle of surrender. And, and just to clarify, when I see surrender, it's just having an open enough mind where I'm always willing to let go of my preconceived ideas about the way things should or shouldn't be. And so as I became willing to let go of the idea that I would be happy if I was a rock star, uh, and then falling into that career, did that for a number of years, and then through another process of surrender, had an entrepreneurial idea that was going to stretch my comfort zone. And I didn't know how to start a business. I dropped out of high school. I got horrible grades. I don't have any education to speak of. I spent you know, my teens and 20s like running around the streets of Hollywood with homeless people and crackheads and prostitutes. Like I was not you know, like a startup entrepreneur, CEO kid at all. But as I continued to seek out the will of the unseen hand, you know, that, that vast, ineffable source of intelligence, then I was guided to start this business. And as a result of that, have been able to really serve another generation of uh, kids that really want a career in fashion. You know, I've been doing that for, for nine years and uh, sort of passing the torch. And, and then through that process of surrender and the willingness to use that experience as um, a tool for spiritual growth, 
just making the mistakes that one makes owning a business. If any of you own a business, you know it's not easy. Looks really sexy from the outside. Everyone's like, I could do that. And then you try to do it, and it's like, oh yeah, it's kind of hard. Um, and then eventually, a year and a half ago, came to the place where I really didn't have any passion or drive artistically or any other way to be involved in Hollywood, in the entertainment industry, in the fashion industry. I just like, it's like, yeah, I totally don't give a shit about any of this. And it probably went on for years, but I just was attached to it because, it, again, it was part of my identity and it was my security and all of that. And so having seen through that, at one point, I made a decision to start this thing called the Lifestylist Podcast, which I thought would be just a great way for me to expose all of the brilliant people that I've discovered over the past 20 plus years to a wider audience, because the, my crew is like from music and fashion and entertainment industry and all this stuff, you know? So I know these weird natural cancer curing doctors and meditators and yogis and all these great people that I've discovered over the years, and I thought it would be about highlighting them, but what it's turned into is the most profound spiritual tool for growth for myself because I've had to face like so many self-imposed limitations and to really, really put myself out there in an authentic, vulnerable way because I just think that's the only way you can really have a positive impact. So once I started to do that, what I found was <laughs> it's like when I interview these fantastic, brilliant people, it's not even about them, it's about me being seen, in a sense, and, um, and accepting myself and being a student, and then eventually kind of coming full circle now, which brings me back to being here with you guys, and I don't know the right word to use, but after having really positioned myself as a student of spirituality and meditation and crazy health stuff and all the stuff I've been into, it's suddenly occurring to me that other people seem to think that I know some stuff and they want to hear about it, you know? So it's like another level of surrender rather than to play small and have false humility and be like, oh no, not me. It's, you know, it's about these people that I interview. I'm not the expert, I'm not the teacher. And, you know, um, I could probably have gotten away with that for a while, but then I get emails from people like Jane and her crew here that say, wow, you have some really cool stuff to say and we'd love to share it with our community here which to me, Mr. You know, really working on low self-worth, is like, me? Why the hell do you want me to talk? Shouldn't I bring someone in and interview them? <laughs> you know? So it's uh, another level of letting go, letting go of thinking small, letting go of my expectations about what the next phase of the journey is and what this thing looks like for myself. And you know, it's been really meaningful, especially lately, because the the, the, you know, the, the moment I made some changes with the business that I own, that's this fashion school, me, my partner and I were like, you know what, let's not do any more live classes. Starting 2018, we're going to do online classes, something we've talked about. And we just were both passionate about where our individual careers are going. The minute that we made that decision, it was just like the gates, the floodgates just opened, you know, and just all of these. I think I've done like five speaking gigs in the last few weeks and have two more, one more here on Sunday, which is my birthday, uh, which is at Lead With Love, I think at four. And then I get home and have two really big speaking gigs, you know? So it's like, the more I 
let go of my plan, the more the flow provides this really terrifying <laughs> but rewarding plan for me, which is like, wow, I, I think as I keep learning, I'm really in a place where I'm willing to step up and to truly be of service in whatever way that I can. And following that intuition is what led me here. Because Jane and I talked a couple times. I was like, ah, I don't know. Like, I'd have to take time off work and I don't really know anyone out there, et cetera, et cetera. Then the lead with love thing happened. It all kind of came together. And then I got to say a few words here last night, which was really special. And now I'm back in this place where I started the first five years of my life, returned to years later, just a really confused kid. And now, you know, God has brought me back here in, in the light. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, for me, the, <laughs> the mystery is, is right now, you know, and that's what was, I said was so great about uh, not having the mental or physical capacity whatsoever to, like, plan a, you know, I have my little... PowerPoint thing, and I kind of folded it today, and I was like, That's, I'm never going to do that. It's not, it won't be spontaneous, it won't be magic, it won't be real, because what I like to do when I sit down with a group of people is I want to have an experience, you know, I don't want to get in a head trip or in an ego trip. I want, you know, my intention is for each of us to feel the mystery of letting go and the possibilities that are available to us when we trust something other than our own limited intellect. And I don't discount the mind. I mean, my mind is great. I have creative ideas. Like, I'm so freaking creative right now. I can't, my Evernote like, won't even load fast enough. You know, I'm just like, oh my god, another idea, another idea. I mean, not so much this week. My idea is like, uh, am I going to throw up? But uh, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I appreciate the mind, but I've learned <laughs> in such a profound way that it's very short-sighted. And when I say mind, we can just roll up ego into that too, uh, even though to me they have a little bit of a distinction. But when I've followed that in my life, what happens is I end up in a lot of pain. And most people that interact with me tend to have a negative experience when I follow what my mind tells me about any given situation and what... Um, what my emotions want to do with any given situation. And it's been so beautiful this week to have the witness perspective and literally be sitting here, me, the whatever me is, and then watching this thought that's like, oh, this sucks, your whole trip's ruined. This fucking blows. But thankfully, after all of these years of meditation and just everything that I've been doing, I notice it before it takes me over most of the time where I go, yeah, that, you know what? I'm going to energize that thought. Let me just take that negative thought and just run with that and imbue it with some powerful emotion. Then, then there's self-pity, then there's hopelessness, then there's despair, then, then I'm way down on the scale with no power. So this week, having the opportunity to really apply spiritual principles has enabled me to actually still enjoy my life, even though physically I'm really miserable and feel really shitty. And I wake up every day and like, okay, is it gone? It's like, no, it's worse. <laughs> you know, and then 
to have this thing tonight. And Jane's like, dude, if you're sick, like, you know, don't feel obligated. I'm like, I have a promise to myself. I don't miss gigs. Like, I, you bring me in here on a goddamn stretcher, I'm gonna show up and do something, if not just flop around on the floor. <laughs> but in 30 years of like playing music, teaching classes, showing up on photo shoots and video shoots and you know, all the stuff that I did in, uh, in, Hollywood, in the Hollywood career, I literally have never ever missed a gig. So I was like, God damn it, my homecoming to Aspen is not gonna be the one that I miss. So uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to be here to be able to share this time with you guys. And I really just appreciate your kind attention, you know, and I, I hope that I've been able to activate something within you. And perhaps as a takeaway, you might take a moment to go inside and look for a situation or a pattern of thought or a negative emotion that you're still getting juice out of and that you won't let go. Maybe it's being right, you know. I love uh, The Course in Miracles. Would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? You know, how many times do most of us, when we feel that we've been wronged and we listen to what our mind tells us, we'd rather be pissed off at someone and feel vindicated and feed, the ego will feed off that justifiable anger, you know? So maybe you take a moment in your life and see if there's some, something in that realm that you're unable to let go of, unable to surrender to, and maybe take a moment right now and be willing to offer that to the power and infinite intelligence and love that is making all of our hearts beat right now. Because that thing can fix everything, <laughs> you know? And that's, that's the mission of my life, you know, is to share that message and to continue to fine tune my ability to do that. Not as a mental construct, but literally as a way of life. Just let go, let go, let go, let go. And what's crazy is, I'm not in the penitentiary right now. That's where I was supposed to go. At best, you know? I mean, who knows, maybe I would have been, I would have found salvation in some other method. You know, you don't, you don't know what would have happened. There's <laughs> a lot of windows into the house of God. Maybe I would have found it another way, but for me, the way of getting around it has been to go through it. And this is, this is the alchemy of turning what could be suffering into a really exciting kind of pain in the ass lesson. <laughs> you know, I had an experience and I'll, I'll wrap it up here and we'll do the conversation if you guys have anything to add or questions. But as an example of that, you know, I spent my whole life running from uncomfortable feelings. Sadness, loss, attachment, fear, anxiety, anger, jealousy, guilt, shame, all that shit. And I've gone to great and highly destructive lengths to just numb myself, you know? And whether that be with chemicals or with Instagram or ice cream or whatever, you know? Even uh, working on a career, you know, workaholism, just anything. I'll find anything to escape. And I'm 
finding that I'm actually really enjoying feeling those feelings finally in my life at like 47 on Sunday, 47 years old, that those things that I've been so afraid of, those emotions, those feelings, that they were really boogeymen the whole time. You know, it's like I left my dad's house the other day. You know, it really sucked. I, I went there to visit him and I gave an extra few days at the front of my trip so I could go visit him in Grand Junction. And uh, we spent, yo, standby. Ooh, don't let me forget one last thing I want to talk about is surrendered action. So when my mic falls off, I don't just surrender and let the mic hit the fucking ground. I take a moment, surrender to the fact that it fell, and pick it up. <laughs> Without negativity, or like feeling stupid, or you know, whatever, getting self-conscious, or God knows what could happen. But anyway, so I'm leaving my dad's, and it was, it was a real bummer, man. I felt really, it sucked, like I felt really bad, um, because he's like bored out in Grand Junction, which, you know, I mean, those of you that live here, it's not exactly the hub of conscious activity in Colorado. Um, <laughs> You know, no offense, but it's just true. The place is whack. And so my dad's kind of bored there. I mean, he's got a lovely wife, and they have a great relationship, and it's very homey, and they have their thing going on. But I know he's really excited when I come visit. I'm his first son, and, like, you know, we share so much on the path. We, you know, we, um, God, it's so special. But the first couple of days I was there, when I felt okay, we meditated together, like the first three nights, you know, six o'clock. I was like, dude, it's meditation time. We both learned uh, Vedic meditation from the same teacher in LA. Um, Jeff Kober, who's a fantastic guy, I interviewed him recently on my podcast. He's also an actor on uh, shows like The Walking Dead and stuff. But anyway, so me and my dad have this practice. We got that little quality time. And then those other few days, I just was like in bed all day and it's like, yo, don't talk to me. I'm not, not having it. I, can't, I got nothing, you know? And then when I went to say goodbye, I just had that sense of loss and I could, I could feel all of those times as a kid getting dropped off at the Aspen airport, you know, and getting sent back to my mom's and, you know, a lifetime of surrendering that attachment. But, <laughs> because I don't want to keep feeling that, as I pulled out of the driveway, I felt it coming on like I do now. And I was like, yes, fucking bring it on. Let's go. All of it. All of that sadness. All of that longing. All of that sense of impermanence and uh, the heartbreaking reality that the time here is so short and the time with dad is so short. And rather than turning on the radio or a podcast or chocolate or whatever, I was just like, no. And I just drove slowly and I just cried. And it was about 90 seconds later and I was like, do, 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 going to basalt. Like, cool, problem solved. I spent my whole life avoiding feelings like that. And as a result, largely missed out on a very rich experience of life. You know, to be able to really have the human experience of in the moment surrendering those attachments which with my dad are deep because in the first, you know, 35 years of my life, I'd say, we really didn't have a relationship, you know? He was a, he was a tough customer <laughs> when I was a kid, you know? We were definitely like not on the same page. So now savoring those moments and allowing 
the sometimes sadness of the impermanence of that relationship and the sadness of losing that attachment so many times. And God knows how many lifetimes we've been trudging together in whatever form we were in. I mean, that's kind of the way it feels to me. So in closing, uh, God, I swear, every time I talk, I'm seriously, I was like, yeah, I'll go like 15 minutes and I'm just, that's it. <laughs> Sometimes inspiration hits, you know, I really, I feel you guys in the room, I feel your heart, and so it's been, um, more stuff has come out, but um, I'd like to just close this part of the evening by um, expressing my gratitude and inviting you again to practice those minute, incremental moments of letting go of, and surrender, you know, letting go of what opinions your mind has about a situation. You know, that's where the freedom is. It's so crazy. Life is literally not what happens to me. It's all the thoughts that I have about it. It's not the feelings that I experience. It's what I think about those feelings and whether or not I argue with them. My whole life, I had a war with reality. I just constantly complained about everything that is, however it is with the exception of fleeting moments where I got fed by some sort of, you know, you get the money, you get the girl, you get the car, you get, get, get that rapacious, like, feeding egoic state. Those were like the moments of relief and then back to finding fault with reality and arguing with reality. So I'd like to invite us to build a practice, and I'm sure many of you already do this, and that is to see what would happen if you just stopped arguing with people, with the weather, with missed flights, with taxes, with the government. That's a tough one for some of us, <laughs> you know? And that's not to say that you become passive and inactive and that you don't have the ability to affect change. What I'd like to propose is that true change, whether it be internally or change that's expressed in our lives, actually has to come from a true source of power rather than force. And there's no power more powerful than the power of love. And to me, surrender is sinking into love, not of a person per se, but love of what is in any given moment. It's like, can I love showing up to this place being sick and like having no clue what I'm even gonna say and if you guys are even gonna like it and what I, you know? all that. Yeah, I love all this. I love you guys. I love the space. I love my imperfections and frailties. I love it all. And I'm surrendering to that more and more. And as a result, I'm really making profound changes in my own life and evolving very quickly. And I think, based on feedback, also helping some other people to do that as well. So thank you guys so much for your kind attention here tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. So much better to not have a plan, <laughs> you know. It, yeah, that's what we're gonna do. Yeah, yeah. Lay it, lay it on me. What do you got? Okay, I see what you're saying. So if you haven't been driven to a spiritual awakening from abject pain and suffering, and you're just someone who has a decent life, but you have a yearning to have more of an experience in those realms, how do you activate? the disciplines and all of that when you haven't been like, you know, chased in there by the devil. Is that, is that more yeah. closer? Okay, cool. And also I wanted to add, I did my college internship at 
No way. Yes. At Rocky Mountain Academy? Yes. Get out of here. And no one's ever even heard of that place. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, yeah. There's, on Facebook, there's, um, they have groups for that school. That, it was in Northern Idaho, and there was a sister school called CEDU in San Bernardino, California. And uh, they have Facebook groups where they call them survivors, like not graduates, you know? <laughs> I wasn't that dramatic. I was like, it was weird, but like to answer your question, and of course I can only do so somewhat objectively rather than subjectively, because my experience at first was like, oh my God, I'm getting chased in here with hellhounds on my trail, and I was, I was willing to do anything to just be relieved from this bondage. There's no other way to say it, just like I was a slave. And when I realized I couldn't free myself, I was like, I was all in. I mean, if you would have told me to become a Hare Krishna, like change my sexual preference, like I don't give a shit, like I would have done, well, maybe not that, I don't know if you can do that at will, but I'm like, whatever's the most extreme thing you would have asked me to do, I was all in, you know? But then over the years, as, as is the case with spiritual seekers and finders, that the ego uh, reasserts itself, and the ego will even come back in and like show up as the spiritual guy. You know, so it's, it's not like it's one way or the other, and you either have to be driven here by pain or else you're not gonna make it. To me, it's, it's a matter of finding your pain, because you have some. It just might not be a junkie locked up in jail, you know? Uh, to access the pain, maybe, Go a whole day and see if you can stop thinking. You know, if you want to know if you're, if you're addicted to something, we're all addicted to thinking. We're all powerless over thoughts, and a lot of them are negative and hurtful to ourselves and to other people. So it's about raising the bottom to meet yourself. Because my bottom's down here, maybe your bottom's here, but you can still find your bottom right here. You know, your bottom is whatever areas in which you find yourself powerless and unable to affect positive change, you know, whatever your pain point is. But I personally find it fascinating, because a lot of people I interview on my show, they don't have like a hero's journey, whole like war story thing. They're just like, yeah, I've always been pretty happy, and I thought I'd just check out meditation and yoga, and now here I am. I'm like, you're weird. Why would you ever, you know, it's like, why would you ever go through the, the, the sacrifices that the ego must endure for spiritual growth and evolution, unless you were just absolutely beaten into it, you know, beaten into humility and submission. But I do find people find their own bottom. And, and the addicts and alcoholics that I've worked with over the years, which has been a huge part of my own journey, is like becoming less narcissistic and selfish and like really caring about other people, which is very rare for a practicing addict or alcoholic. I've seen them come in at all different levels, and it's just a matter of like, finding your own bottom and working up from there. We don't all have to like lose our life in order to find one. Your bottom doesn't, you don't find your bottom, your bottom finds you. There's a great book called Monkey Traps. We're all in <laughs> control. Yeah. And that's why we all need this, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so, but my, I have a question. So I'm a doctor, if you need an antibiotic, just Oh my God, I almost caved in Grand Junction. I was driving to the, uh, to the, to the uh, urgent care clinic, and then I called another health nut of mine back home. I was like, bro, I'm, I'm caving. Like, it's been three days, I'm going to get antibiotics. Like, no, bro, don't do it. You're gonna wreck your gut biome. It's not worth it. It's probably a virus and not bacteria. So I literally went to the health food store and got more goddamn garlic, which didn't do anything. But yeah, um, anyway, what was your question? Um, so, you know, 
You know, it's been, so the question is, if you're someone who's highly analytical, more left brain, uh, proactive, you know, take care of yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of person, how does one explore the spiritual realm? Is that it, kind of? Kind of, yeah. Okay. So, what I've observed... I feel I'm spiritual, but how do you like, right. really, really get there? And so, you, yeah, you're having a hard time meditating and all this kind of stuff. What I've found, and it's almost like a cruel trick of the universe, is that people with really high IQs that are highly intellectual and highly intelligent, I've observed, and this might not be true, but from my perspective, have a much harder time embracing spirituality because there's so much of it is in the non-linear domain. Like you can't explain scientifically God, love. You know, it's how do you quantify when a puppy runs in the room wagging its tail and that feeling you get? There's no scientific evidence of that. You just know that feels good. Someone that's highly intellectual, you'd ask them that question, they're like, well, I'm probably getting a release of oxytocin and blah, 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 you know, and they just get all, I'm like, no, just pet the dog. Feel the dog. You don't need to know how it works, just accept that it works, you know? And I've, I've, I don't think I'm dumb, I'm not being self-deprecating, but I'm not highly analytical and intellectual. I'm very much a feeling-based person. That's why sometimes I, you know, I tear up and I'm just like, I'm all heart, I'm very intuitive and, uh, and spontaneous and feeling and very in touch with my feminine energy. And, um, well, also masculine energy too. I'm finding more balance there. So I've never had any problem over analyzing this stuff or trying to meditate and be like, oh God, it, this sucks, I can't stop thinking. You know, it's like, I just go, well, whatever I've done in my life totally hasn't worked. Let's just do the math. Luke, your plan sucks. When you follow what seems to be God's plan or the wisdom of the ages or the teachers, then shit goes pretty well for you. You know, it's just like a very common sense approach. But what I would mm, invite you to do in terms of meditation is to get trained, like, legitimately get a practice from someone who's a really good teacher. I am a proponent of Vedic meditation, which is a similar lineage to TM, Transcendental Meditation. I find that to be really easy because the whole teaching in that method of meditation is that the point is not to stop thinking. And that if you try to stop thinking, you'll just drive yourself crazy because that's what the brain is designed to do. And so in Vedic meditation, which is a mantra-based meditation, the only goal when you sit is to very gently, with the least amount of exertion possible, just gently go back to your mantra. And in some other traditions, that could be the breath. I find the mantra to be very useful, but I had to get trained. You know, I spent four days studying with my teacher, and he explained exactly how to do it. It's 20 minutes, twice a day. Here's what you do. If your mind wanders, great. Mind's wandering. That's what the mind does. Go back to the mantra. So I find people that, you know, like you, and you even framed meditation as like, it sucks or it's difficult or, you know, there was some negative connotation Boring. to it. Boring, yeah. So first you gotta reframe, well, you don't have to do anything, but my suggestion would be to reframe one's opinions about such things and come at all of this with a truly open mind. An open mind meaning not only being receptive to new ideas, but also being totally willing to open the gates of my own consciousness and allow old ideas, such as meditation is boring, to exit. You know, the open mind has got to be this fluid 
in and out of information. And to someone who's highly analytical, they've used their brain to protect themselves their whole life. And so for them to be like, oh yeah, just go along with anything, it sounds gullible. You sound uh, as if you might be susceptible to being uh, taken or mistreated or you know, deceived or something like that. But when the mind's truly open, what happens is you connect to your heart because the mind gets out of the way. And the heart knows what it knows. The heart knows when you're being lied to. Your heart knows when someone's full of shit. Your heart knows if I'm full of shit right now. I don't feel that I am. I'm not feeling in a full of shit vibe. But you know, you know, like, hey, you might not like me, but I'm, I'm real, hopefully, you know? So the intuition and the higher intelligence guides us. And through the process of letting go of my preconceived ideas and my intellect, and then tracking the results over time, like, okay, I got a situation here, I'm going to do a case study, right? You could look at it as, you know, medical research almost, right? I'm going to do an experiment. I have an idea about this thing, I'm pretty sure I'm right, but I'm going to consider the idea that perhaps I'm mistaken, and I'm going to let go of my opinion about it, and just see where my heart takes me. And as you track that over time, you find like, wow, the mind is very useful for updating the calendar, writing medical you know, paper, whatever you do with your mind, like, it's amazing. But it's not very good at finding God. Because it thinks it is God. I just want to say one more thing, which yeah. is about your feeling of loss when you leave your dad. I mean, as I, as I said, I'm a doctor, and I have so many people come in, and 60% of medicine is like psychiatry. Everybody says that. <laughs> right, so right. But when people are grieving or have loss, I really encourage them just to let those feelings of loss or hurt just run over them because your feelings can't really hurt you. Your feelings can't hurt you. If you believe in the universe is heading in the right direction, the way you feel can't hurt you. Whether you feel hurt or angry or sad or lost, you're actually honoring your father by feeling that loss. What if you didn't grieve over the loss of a child or leaving your dad or moving a house or whatever? That would be a dishonoring, dishonoring your feelings. And when you repress or suppress your feelings, you can only become sick with anxiety, depression. Absolutely. Yeah, it's whack-a-mole. You know, it's like, you know, plugging leaks. It's going to come out in one way or another. It's control of your yeah. feelings. Yeah, yeah. And as someone who spent the majority of my early life being in control of everything all the time. It's something I have to work on continually is like observing when I'm having the propensity to control, especially a feeling, because then it's going to come out in binging on Netflix or doing some sort of neurotic or self-destructive behavior, even though my self-destructive behaviors are pretty tame these days, they're still a distraction, you know? And you know what it is too? It's also that like refusing to experience the uncomfortable feelings, it's almost like what psych meds do with some people, and this was my experience, is that you cut off the lower states of feeling and emotion, but because you're constantly cutting them off, you're also not able to experience the bliss and the elation and the ecstasy of unconditional love or you know, a gift from the universe or a gift from God or a real heartfelt intimate connection with another human being. It's like if you numb out the bad stuff, you're numbing out everything. So yeah, I agree. Thank you for the, the input. Can I ask you? Yeah. For microphone uh, purposes, so what I'm hearing in summary is as we each in our own subjective experience go through our own process of awakening, 
how might we be able to, through leadership and through community, whatever, however big or small that is in terms of its scope and reach, how are we able to transmit our own experience to other people to help them have a yes, similar experience? Like, so we can leave here with something that's like lit up. Yeah. It doesn't be awakening, like evolution. It can be those things. Well, you know what's crazy from my perspective is that as my, yeah, as my, <laughs> you know, as my, uh, it's like when you raise the ocean, all ships, you know, what's that term? They all, yeah, 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 yeah. It's that thing. How, yeah, however that, however that goes. And, you know, I don't get involved personally in any sort of activism. I just, it's not my thing to go out and change the world uh, because I have some degree of awareness that the world that I see doesn't even really exist, that it's really a projection of my opinion about the way things ought to be. We were talking about a little bit about politics the other night from that perspective. It's like, how do I know? Oh, I, I'm the guy? I can't even get along with my own goddamn family, and I'm going to go out and change the world. Why don't you like, get along with mom and dad, brother, sister? Start there, you know? <laughs> you know? But, but. But what I have found, though, is that, and I don't take credit for this, it sounds weird to say, but it's just the truth that anyone, and I mean anyone and everyone, that's entered into my life for the past many years has been affected positively. As imperfect and crazy as I am sometimes, I've had a positive impact, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm just doing my thing working on my own degree of integrity, self-love, unconditional love of self, of others. And, you know, I like have a positive impact on my little neighborhood in the middle of LA. <laughs> you know, I'm, when I go in the gas station, I look, I try, you know, I do my best. I look the person in the eyes and I really send them love and I acknowledge them. Like, that's good. I don't need to like go join a protest line or anything. Me, this is just me. So now the, the person at the gas station or at Whole Foods where I just said, a sincere, man, thank you so much for your help. You know, have a great day. And I really acknowledge that person instead of just seeing them as some utility service person. Now, they might be nicer to someone in traffic and they let someone in and that person's like, oh, that felt good. And then they go home and they're able to express more kindness to their kids. And then those kids grow up to be less dysfunctional and they have kids and so on and so on. You know, it's like this interwoven web of consciousness. I'm so it forward. Just like I have such yeah. an to take what we experience here tonight and yeah. Some of my greatest spiritual teachers have been like the most unassuming people. Yeah. You know, I remember one time my housekeeper, her name's Sonia, she's from El Salvador, and I've been working with her for, I don't know, 10 years. I just, at some point, decided, why am I cleaning my own house when I could be doing something that pays me more than that? You know, that kind of math thing. And I always had this preconceived idea that she, like, hated her life, and that I would feel guilty. Like, when I left her, I was like, okay, have fun scrubbing the toilet. Like, oh, God. Like, she must just think this sucks so bad to have to, like, go clean up someone else's debris. And as I got to know her a little bit, chatting with her, one day she said to me, she's always very happy, though. That's the thing that didn't add. I was like, how is she happy? Like, she scrubs toilets for like $130, you know what I mean? I would be fucking suicidal if I had to do that, I think. 
one day she said to me, she said, uh, she said, Luke, you know what? I love my life so much. I said, really? Why? She goes, I just love my clients. I love going into their homes. I love doing a really good job. I get to go in these fantastic apartments and houses that are beautifully decorated, and I get to be in that environment, and I get to make those people so happy by like, doing such a great job at cleaning. I just can't wait to go to work every day. It's so fun and exciting. <laughs> I was like, okay, Buddha. <laughs> you know? I was like, whoa. And I'll never forget that. It was like, see, I have preconceived ideas about what everyone else should be doing, and like, I, feel, I feel sorry for someone. She probably feels sorry for me when she, she comes over and I'm like, oh God, and my computer won't, you know, I'm all frustrated and stressed out, trying to run a company and all freaked out. She's probably looking at me like, wow, I'm really happy to be cleaning the house and not freaking out about it like you are. You know, so sometimes our spiritual teachers and leaders are very unassuming and they're, they're hidden in places where we might not think to look. But it's all, again, it's all about perception. You know, leaders, true leaders that are spiritual, they're leading by living their life that way. They're framing their experience from a positive point of view where they're finding the good, the upside of things rather than the downside. Yeah. My relationship to ambition is, <laughs> see, this is the tricky thing about surrender, is surrender sounds from one point of view like inaction, inactivity, passivity. Like I have a cold, I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna be sick all week, Wait, No. About active. No, no active, active, driven surrender. I go to every goddamn health food store, I get $150 worth of every tincture and everything. I do everything I can to get over this cold but I'm very cautious about allowing negative thoughts and feelings to infect that action. So it's like, I'm ambitious to the point, yeah, if my car gets stuck on the side of the road in the mud, I don't just surrender and be like, oh, well, I guess I'll just sleep here tonight. No, I, I proactively find a solution, but without uh, using negative energy. Because negative energy, um, causes you to lose power. And what I need in a moment that requires change and to be proactive is I need power. And the access to the power is through the surrender. It's a real spiritual paradox, you know? So to answer more specifically with myself, I don't even know I'm ambitious. Like, I'm just, I have a fire in me right now. I mean, people my friends and people that listen to my podcast and stuff, they're like, dude, you're insane. I just went to New York for 12 days. I recorded 15 podcasts with all of this gear, mostly by myself. I'm just running around Manhattan doing three a day. At home in LA, for perspective, normally I would do maybe one a week. And so the outside world is like messaging me and my friends like, dude, you're on fire. You're crazy. How do you get this ambition? I'm like, it's just like, this is what I do. I don't even think about it. It's like, okay, I got to get this person, this guy. You know, I'm just, I'm super, super driven, but at the same time, always willing to just let it go. So when I meet resistance with something, I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Like I sent an email out to someone at Lead With Love, and I was like, hey, a little awkward, no pressure, but I'd love to have the opportunity to interview Marianne Williamson and or Deepak Chopra. I'm going to bring my gear, just saying, if it happens to come to fruition, whatever, you know? 
that's my ambition. But also, like, she, she emailed back and was like, yeah, I don't really have that kind of pull. That's not my thing. And I was like, cool. I never thought about it again. I just let that go. But if I'm in the hallway at Lead with Love and I was like, hey, Marianne, let's do a podcast. And she says yes, then I'm ambitiously going to set all my stuff up and I'm going to kill it if that's what's meant to happen. It's like trusting the unseen hand. You know, there's a difference between, for me, believing in God as a concept, right, and trusting in God. Believing that there's something that makes that acorn become the oak tree. Okay, like intellectually I can get that. But there's a huge leap between believing that as a probability and me turning my entire life and future and destiny over to whatever that intelligence and that power is that grows that tree. I want that thing that grows the acorn to also grow me. And that unseen hand gives me the power and the ambition when I feel like I'm on a mission. And you, and you said it, is that when you finally tap into, and this is, you know, I'm 46, I think I just found this. When you tap into like what you're meant to do, it's like I'm, I'm unstoppable until I start getting no's. And it's also the Jim Carrey thing, the yes, what is it, yes man, remember that movie? Or whatever it's called, like that's literally my life. Jane's like, come out, I'm like, yes, wait, what am I doing? I can't go to Aspen, what? Who's gonna pay for it, you know? It's like, yes, 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 yes. Until I get a feeling that's like, eh, not vibing this, you know? So it's like surrendered action, surrendered ambition. The goal for me, in terms of getting things done and having a business and making money and all that stuff is the intention behind what I'm doing has got to be to serve the highest good, which is hard for the ego to get on board with because on its face value, it seems like, well, if I'm surrendering to the highest good, then I'm left out of that. Like, I want the highest good for my ass. <laughs> like, how why do I get what I want? You know, that's what the ego operates from, right? But in having the intention of serving the highest good for everyone and everything, by its very nature, includes me in that. So I might have an idea that I want to spend four quality days with my dad. Well, that didn't serve the highest good, obviously, because that's not what happened. There, was, there were other lessons that I needed to learn, like how to surrender with being really uncomfortable, even deeper. And maybe, who knows, maybe all that happened so that I could come here tonight and be unplanned and unedited and maybe deliver more value than if I would have been feeling great all week and like, oh, I'm going to come in and nail it, you know? It's like, I didn't have, I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I might just roll over and fall asleep and you guys have a party. <laughs> like, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. The ambition that we each have comes from our creator. And it's a matter of trusting the universe, trusting that unseen hand to find what my calling is. You know, how can I be of most service? And to some people, that's going to the Philippines and like feeding kids rice. Like that's, that's one path. But there's also the path of owning a movie studio or, you know, being Aspen's biggest real estate mogul. It's like there's no, mm, there's no specific role that is more spiritually ambitious than another because the intention behind it being to serve and to serve the highest good makes every path the most spiritual. So let's give ourselves a hand for being here and having a wonderful uh, time together. Yeah.
<laughs> Dude, as I listen back to that recording, I am shocked that I'm actually putting it out. But my hope is that it will reach people and fulfill its intention, which is, of course, to help people overcome some of the difficulties that I've managed to overcome. And as an exercise in just celebrating a fantastically challenging and also rewarding year. So I sincerely, most, most sincerely want to thank you for joining me on this final episode, the end of the year. Happy New Year's Eve. I hope if you're hearing this on the day that you're doing something amazing tonight, I know where I'll be on this night. I'll be doing yoga with my teacher, Tage and Guru Jagat out at the annual Kundalini Extravaganza in Santa Monica, California. I'll probably see some of you there, actually. But uh, no, in all seriousness, just thank you so much for supporting the show. And I'm going to give you some rapid fire plugs here as we leave. I want to thank you for joining me this year. And I want to continue to have me have you join me in 2018. But I also want to really elicit some of your support. And I'm going to show no shame in doing that because I worked my ass off this year to produce the highest quality show humanly possible. I know I haven't done it perfectly. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I feel really good about the value that I've been able to add. So if you want to support, here are a number of things that you can do. Do whatever feels comfortable, or if what feels comfortable to you is doing not a goddamn thing, then do that and just keep listening for your own benefit. But if you want to go the extra mile and really pitch in and help support the show, here's a few things you can do. Keep sharing this show with friends and family. You can text it to them, email it to them, share episodes on Facebook, share episodes on Instagram. The iTunes app, the podcast app, has made it really easy to share specific episodes now. You can click around on there until you get to share. You can copy the link. You can post it all over. It's really easy to do, and it's one of the best ways you can support the show. Now, here's something for your own benefit. Uh, as I said earlier, I've started a Facebook group just for you, listener. That's right, whoever you are out there. I can't see your face, but I know you exist because you're hearing my voice and you're tuning into the show every week. Now you can jump over to the Lifestylist Podcast uh, private group on Facebook. So go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Lifestylist Podcast or just tune into Facebook and uh, enter the Lifestylist Podcast and you'll find that group and ask to join and I will let you in and uh, we will have a grand old time. And if you have questions, a lot of people, you know, post to my various Facebook pages and send me direct messages on Instagram or comment on Instagram posts and things like that. And I'm starting to direct everyone over to the Facebook group because I just, not, I'm not trying to be a big shot here, but I really don't have time to answer all the questions as, you know, the show gains popularity and whatnot. Uh, I only have so many hours in the day. So I'm directing everyone to the Facebook group so that when you have questions and I take the time to answer them, that everyone can see the question and the answer, not just you and me. You know what I'm saying? Share the wealth. So join the Facebook group. It's free. It's awesome. Really valuable content happening over there. And then please follow me on Instagram at Luke Story. I do tons of live feeds and stories. I do some pretty crazy stuff on Instagram, especially in the stories and the live feeds. If you want to see like a lot of behind the scenes wackiness, uh, I'm over there. I'm quite free because I know it's going to disappear in 24 hours. Not that someone couldn't record it with another device and use it against me at some point in the future. Don't do that, by the way. I'm not putting that idea in your head. But I'll do stuff like sit here and record these intros and just run an Instagram live, like sitting in my office, 
being a total freak just because I'm bored and I want to share the experience with a listener. So, so follow me on Instagram if you want to keep it super real. And then don't forget to shop at my online store that really helps support the mission. Go to lukestory.com forward slash store. It supports me and what I'm doing here with the podcast. Also, the great vendors that I work with, um, the affiliates that I work with, and it supports you too. You know why, dog? Because I not only give you tons of exclusive discount codes on my store, I also spend the time to curate the best of the best of the best that's available in health and wellness and put it all in one place. So rather than even asking a question like, hey, what's the best B vitamins or fish oil or this or that? According to my research, which is which is pretty stringent, I'm pretty hardcore about vetting different products and companies. If they don't have integrity, I do not F with them. So I can save you actually a lot of time and energy by just going to my store. Everything's beautifully categorized according to which part of your lifestyle you want to upgrade. So go to lukestory.com forward slash store. If you want to be super baller and you're like, wow, this episode really moved me. This podcast has changed my life in 2017, and I really want to show my support. You can do so from a monetary standpoint by going to lukestory.com forward slash support, where you can offer a one-time or even a reoccurring uh, contribution to help me keep this thing um, from going off the rails. It's really, really expensive running a podcast of the quality that I believe I'm producing. Um, I could half-ass it and probably pocket a little more change and just, you know, wing these shows. But I really want the sound to be good, the editing to be good, the music, the ads, everything that I do. I really have a high standard of excellence. And so anything that you can do to support would be great. And the last thing I'm going to ask you, you know, in podcasting, they say, hey, you should only do one call to action per episode. I'm giving you guys like 10 calls to action because I don't know which one fits you and your personality. But what I'd really love for you to do is to subscribe to my email list so that you get notified every time I put out a new episode, video. Uh, Sometimes I'll do podcast live stream uh, behind the scenes recordings. I'm actually doing one of those tomorrow down in San Diego with uh, Daniel Schmachtenberger from uh, Neurohacker Collective, the guys that make Qualia. So I'm going to stream that. If you were getting my emails already, you would know to tune in and catch those live crazy antics of all the behind the scenes stuff. And then of course I send you all the links and show notes from each episode. So my email list is super dope. It's like the chronic uncut real deal stuff. And, um, and many times exclusive content that I don't share with anyone that's not on my email list and stuff like that. So if you want to get on the list, I've made it super, super easy. If you have a US phone, all you have to do is this text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. That's one word, all lowercase. Lifestylist to the number 44222. The machiney thingy is going to text you back and ask for your email. You put in your email and you're done. You're on the list. So US phones, text the word lifestylist to the number 44222 and you'll be prompted on what to do next. Or just keep it simple and go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter where you can enter your name and email and you will be added to my list. Okay, there's a ton of year-end calls to action for you. But seriously, more than anything, I just want to thank you for giving me your kind attention and allowing me to do this for a living. Like, I get to do what I really love, which is talk into 
people that have wisdom to share, experience to share, that have principles of the ultimate truths to share. And uh, I get to learn these things at the same time and grow and evolve with you, the listener, and then also just share that with so many people in the world. And it's very, very fulfilling. I feel really happy to do what I'm doing. So on that note, I bid you farewell at the end of this year we call 2017. And I think I'm going to take us out by playing a little electric guitar. I have this thing sitting in my podcast studio here, and sometimes I tinker around with it. And every once in a while, I leave the record button going, and that's what I'm going to do right about now. Happy New Year. (laughs) 